Well, hi, everyone. Merry Christmas to you from our church, wherever you're at. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Christmas celebration. I know that this has been a very, very tough year, probably for most of you. I know that it has been a very difficult year for me and my own family. In fact, for some of you, you might say that this was the worst year you have ever had. And I would imagine that this year, your Christmas looks a whole lot different from Christmases in the past. Well, today I wanted to share with you just my thoughts about this very different Christmas. And, and I do hope and pray that, that you, know, you will open up your hearts to whatever it is that God might want to say to you uh, through this message. All right, so um, let's come together and pray and... Um, Ask God to do a work in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Christmas. And today we gather and it is so surreal for us to think that we are gathering in this way, that we are celebrating Christmas in this way, in a way that we would have never imagined at the beginning of the year or even even a few months ago. Father, I pray, however, that uh, you would do a work in us. I, I do believe that this was all part of your plan that this is how we would celebrate Christmas. And I pray, God, today that the things from your word, the things that come out of my mouth, will uh, bring an encouragement and a comfort and a peace uh, to each and every one who is listening today. So, Father, thank you again for Christmas. Will you, will you just make it real clear to us now what Christmas is all about? Speak to us, Father. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you a question. It's the question, very similar to the question that the children were, were asked uh, just a moment ago in that video that you saw. And that is this. If, if you had one emoji, if you could choose one emoji to describe uh, the Christmas, your Christmas this year, what, what emoji would you choose? If you could choose one emoji that kind of encapsulates what Christmas is all about for you this year, which emoji would you choose? Well, that was a question I also posed to our pastors, and I wanted to know what emoji they would choose to describe their Christmas, and, and here's what they came up with. Pastor Greg said he would choose the crying emoji, because apparently, obviously, he's very, very sad. Pastor Dan also chose a very sad emoji, a you know, very sad face emoji. Pastor Caleb who uh, is doing well, by the way, chose a frowning emoji. And Pastor James chose a super sad emoji. And all these emojis to describe their Christmas this year. The only one of the pastors who didn't choose a sad emoji was Pastor Dave, who chose a happy face emoji because a few months ago he found out that he was going to be a daddy. And that's always a good reason to choose a happy face emoji. Well, 77 Christmas year, 77 Christmases ago, there was a young pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And surely he would have chosen a sad emoji because he was locked down in a Nazi prison in Tegel, Germany, the Tegel prison. This is an actual uh, photo of the prison as it looks today or as it looked back then. And you may not be able to tell, but the conditions inside were absolutely wretched, they were inhumane, and they were depressing. And this was the room that Bonhoeffer was confined to 24-7. When Christmas Day arrived, 
He had already been in Tegel for nine months. That's about the same amount of time that we've been shut down. And he was there with 700 other inmates waiting to be tried by a Nazi court for various crimes. Now, the charge that was pending against Bonhoeffer was that he was a resistor, an opposer against Hitler. On December 17th, 1943, that would have been eight days before Christmas, knowing that he would be locked down for Christmas, Dietrich sat down at this small desk in his cell and wrote the following letter to his parents, Carla and Paula Bonhoeffer. It was one of the most stirring letters I've ever read. Here's what Bonhoeffer wrote to his mom and dad. Above all, you must not think that I will let myself sink into depression during this lonely Christmas. It will take its own special place in a series of very different Christmases that I have celebrated in Spain, in America, in England. And I want later years to be able to think back on these days, not with shame, but with a special pride. That is the only thing that no one can take from me. I don't need to tell you how great my longing for freedom and for all of you is. But you have for so many decades provided us with Christmases so incomparably beautiful that the grateful memories of them are strong enough to outshine even a dark Christmas. From a Christian point of view, a Christmas in a prison cell is no special problem. It will probably be celebrated here in this house more sincerely and with more meaning than outside where the holiday is observed in name only. That's the first part of his letter. It, it really is a remarkable missive considering where he wrote the letter from. I mean, how on earth, how on earth could Bonhoeffer say that he wouldn't sink into depression on this lonely Christmas? And how is it that he could possibly say that Christmas in a prison cell was no special problem? How could he say that? Well, one of the things he did in this letter was to contrast Christmas with how it was celebrated outside, outside of prison. And that is, it was celebrated, he said, in name only. I think about that for a second. It's celebrated in name only. He said that Christmas was celebrated more often than not in name only, meaning that a lot of people celebrated Christmas and it wasn't about Christ. Perhaps it was about Santa Claus or perhaps it was about exchanging gifts or reindeers or, or uh, children and family. And that's certainly true today. Earlier this week, Cheryl and Natalie and I went driving around looking for Christmas lights. And our evening road trip uh, took us to various neighborhoods around Los Angeles. And, and we came across this spectacularly decorated home in West Los Angeles. It had the largest inflatable figures we had ever seen. As you can see, that snowman, a humongous reindeer, a Santa Claus, and this huge character on the right that reminded me of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I think they were cousins. And when I saw this, later on as I reflected on what I saw, um, it reminded me that this is what Christmas is like for millions of people. It's glittering lights, it's beautiful carols, it's presents under a Christmas tree, it's Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and, and snowmen. You know, in Japan, where less than a half a percent of the population is Christian, Christmas is a romantic, secular uh, occasion, much like Valentine's Day. And the thing to do on Christmas Eve in Japan is to go out on a date. That's the big thing. You got to go out on a date. And if you don't have a date on Christmas Eve, 
it's not Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, a tradition started in Japan some years back, and that is you eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. You got to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Day. I'm not kidding you. And everybody eats finger-licking good uh, chicken on Christmas Day. And Japanese, the Japanese people wait in line for hours to get a buck, bucket of the Colonel's original recipe chicken. And if KFC runs out of chicken and you have to eat sushi instead, well, it just isn't Christmas. I mean, this is Christmas in name only. And we've been programmed to think that Christmas is a feel-good holiday, that it's about family and friends and kids and romance. It's about fragrant Christmas trees and shiny ornaments. Um, It's about what you have as opposed to what you don't have. And if you don't enjoy any of these things, if you don't have any of these things, if you're locked down, if you don't have a bucket of KFC, if you're, if you're sick, uh, if you lost a loved one, then, then it's not Christmas for you. That's kind of our thinking, and it, and it warrants a crying emoji. When Bonhoeffer awoke on Christmas morning in 1943, on his hard wooden bed in his cell, he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. His world was in shambles. But it wasn't about to put a damper on his Christmas. Instead, as we just read, he planned to celebrate that day with a sincerity and with more meaning than perhaps he ever had before. And how would he do that? Well, how could he do that? How He could do that because Christmas, he knew, wasn't a feel-good holiday. Instead, Christmas was about what God did for us. And if you're writing down some notes, you can write that one down. Christmas is about what God did for us, what God did for me. In the Bible, there's a famous, famous verse, John 3.16. Probably most of you are familiar with it or heard of it. John 3.16. Now, what you may not know about John 3.16 is that it is a Christmas verse. It is a Christmas verse because right in the middle of this verse are five words to tell us what God did for us on Christmas. Let me read it to you, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Right there in the middle, those five words, if you're looking at it in your Bible, underline it. He gave his only Son. He gave his only Son. I mean, these five words summarize what Christmas is all about. God gave us his one and only Son. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider the significance of God giving us his son, his one and only son. And I've actually thought about that because I'm a father. And I don't have a son to give away, but I have two daughters. And I imagine that one day I'm going to have to give both of them away. And it's not something that I am looking forward to, neither my wife, me or my wife. And so I've actually given this some thought. What would it mean to give away my daughters? Well, about seven years ago, this video went viral It was a video in which a father gave away his daughter, but before he did, as he walked his daughter down the aisle to the front, before he did, he had a few words for his future son-in-law. Take a look at what he had to say. Philip, I want to tell you a story. And like all good stories, it starts like this. Once upon a time, there was a father. And in case you can't figure that out, that's me. <laughs> this father had a wonderful little boy. He was very happy. But then one day he found out that his wife was going to have a little 
today. So I pray, Lord, if it's your will, give it a little girl. And he did. I was the first person to hold her in my arms. And I looked at her and I said, Lord, make her like her mother. And he did. She was loving and giving and so good and so kind. But then I realized I was getting left out. <laughs> so I said, Lord, make her like me. And he did. She could drive a truck and a tractor. She could load hay and strip the back of it. You realize what you're getting? <laughs> but at the same time, she was a pain in that. Emotional. So I said, Lord, that's enough of that. <laughs> Make her like you. And he did. He gave her a desire to serve people. She loves people. She gave her life to be a nurse. She's brought people back from the dead. And she's held the hand of people and breathed their last breath. He gave her a heart for missions and she's trekked all over the world. Pushed canoes up swollen rivers and laid on the floor while bullets whizzed outside so she could tell people about Jesus. But still something was missing. So I said, Lord, make her happy. And she made me. You see that look on her face? never saw that until she met you. And I'm grateful for that. Today I'm giving you the best thing I had to give. And I just wanted you to know before I do that how hard me and God's work to get her ready for. <laughs> God's worked hard. Don't screw it up. <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, the first time I saw this video, it, I just my I just bawled my eyes out. In fact, when I was looking at it again. In preparation for this message, it brought a tear to my eye. And I could picture myself saying the very same things that this father said to this, his future son-in-law. I can, I can imagine saying the very same things. And the part that I liked the best was when the dad said, I'm giving you the best thing I've got to give. Boy, that is so true. I could relate to that. When I give Kylie and Natalie away one day, I will be giving to this young man the best thing that I've got to give. You know, when God gave us his son, Jesus, he gave us the very best thing he had to give. And you know why he gave us his son in the first place? Do you know why he gave us Jesus? The very next verse in John 3 tells us, after verse 16 is verse 17. And here's what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
I mean, in, in this verse, you can actually substitute in the word give for the word send. So that it would read, God did not give his son to condemn the world, but he gave his son to save the world through him. God gave us his son to save the world. And Matthew one twenty one bears this out. It says, she, referring to Mary, will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, God gave us his son to save the world from sin. I mean, is there any doubt today that the world needs saving? It desperately needs saving. We are so far from him. We are so lost. We are so broken. We are so messed up. And probably one of the best indicators of, a, of how messed up we are is that we don't even realize we're messed up. And the implication of both John 3.17 and Matthew 1.21 is that, is that we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We are helpless to save ourselves. And that's the, the exact predicament that Bonhoeffer and the other inmates found themselves in. They were prisoners in, in Tegel and they were locked in and they couldn't save themselves. The only way they could be set free from the Nazis was if someone came from the outside and unlocked all the cell doors from the outside so that they could go free. In the same way, none of us can save ourselves from sin. We can't do it. And sin has got mankind in a death lock. And no matter how hard we try, we can't break free on our own. Some of you watching right now, know what I'm talking about because you are at this very moment in a, a death lock in the throes of a death lock maybe you are ensnared in a, in a entrapped in an addiction to drugs or to opioids or maybe you're trapped in an addiction inhalants or alcohol or gambling or pornography or eating or cutting maybe you're consumed you're just obsessed and consumed with hate and with rage or maybe it's lust and you're caught in an adulterous affair that you can't get out of. Or maybe it's greed or just pure selfishness or pride, whatever it is. It is eating you alive. Sin is eating you alive. It is obliterating your soul. It is destroying your insides. And you can't save yourself. None of us can. And the only way you can be saved if somebody comes along from the outside and literally plucks us out of sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came from the outside. Jesus was born on Christmas so that he could come and save us from our sins. You see, Jesus wasn't born so that we would ooh and awe at this cute little baby. Jesus was born so that we could be set free from sin. And the only way that we could be set free from sin was that if this baby died, if this baby grew up and he died, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was born to die. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, we couldn't help ourselves. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, I, I, he died for the ungodly. And I love the Christian apologist, Dr. Henry Morris. And I love what he said about Christmas. He said this, The greatest gift clearly was when God gave himself for a lost and undeserving world. It was the greatest gift because it met the greatest need. It revealed the greatest love and had the greatest scope and greatest purpose for, of any gift that could be conceived in the heart of an omniscient creator. Jesus was God's 
Christmas gift to the world. It was the greatest gift of all. God gave us his son. And that's why regardless, regardless of Bonhoeffer's circumstances, he could celebrate Christmas because it wasn't about his circumstances. It was about the gift that God gave to him. You know, last weekend, Pastor Greg mentioned that a lot of people in our church have lost loved ones recently. I mean, even this week, um, someone in our church lost two aunts, two aunties uh, to COVID on the very same day. A couple of days ago, we heard that baby Nehemiah, whom we have mentioned here in our services, and we've prayed for him a lot because he's had a lot of health issues this week, he tested positive for COVID. He's about 18 or 19 months. This is him right here. And um, it, it seems like every day we're hearing about more and more people in our church who are sick. And, and uh, to say that these are difficult times is an understatement. And I think I can speak for our pastors when I tell you that we carry this ache in our heart. We carry this ache in our heart and, and, it, and it doesn't seem to let up. And it just keeps going on and on. It has driven us, it has driven us to prayer at the same time. I want you to know there is, there is a, an authentic, there is a genuine joy in our hearts because of Christmas. You know, those were the exact sentiments of Bonhoeffer as well. Uh, here's what he wrote. Here's what else he wrote to his parents. He wrote, misery, poverty, loneliness, helplessness means something entirely different in the eyes of God than in the judgment of men. That God turns directly toward the place where men are careful to turn away. That Christ was born in a stable because he found no room in the inn. A prisoner grasps that better than someone else. For him, it really is a joyous message because, and because he believes, he knows that he has been placed in the Christian fellowship that breaks all the bounds of time and space. And all the months in prison lose their importance. Wow, these, these are insightful words. When we encounter misery, when we encounter poverty, when we encounter loneliness and helplessness, and you can add to that all kinds of other, other hardships. You, when, when, we add, when we encounter sickness and loss, when we encounter bankruptcy and hurt, our natural, instinct, our natural instinct is to throw up our hands and give up in despair. And sometimes we'll even blame God and question God. But Bonhoeffer said that in those times, it is in those times that God turns toward us rather than away from us. He turns toward you rather than away from you. David put it this way in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, another significant reason why Christ came at Christmas was to be with us. It was to be with you. He came to be with you. That's what Christmas is about. Take a look at the next verse. Matthew 1, 23 says, And behold, the virgin that was Mary shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You can stop there. As you may know, the New Testament, including the book of Matthew, which we just read here, was written in Greek. But the word Emmanuel, you might want to circle it in your Bible, circle the word Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel is actually a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word, it's a Hebrew word. And it's what, what's called a theophoric word. It's a theophoric word, meaning, meaning that the name of God is embedded into the word. Let me show you. The first part of the word is Imanu. Imanu. 
And in Hebrew, it means with us, with us. The second part of the word is the L, Emmanuel. The L is uh, the Hebrew name for God. And whenever you put, when you put the two words together, you get Emmanuel. Translated, it is with us is God. With us is God, or as we like to say, God is with us. And so Christian, so Christmas was a reminder to Bonhoeffer that God came to be with him. He was Emmanuel, which means he wasn't alone in Tegel prison. With him was God. And in the midst of unimaginable adversity and hardship, God turned toward him and he was with him. And hence, Bonhoeffer, in his sufferings and in his isolation, in his loneliness, found comfort in Christmas. He was comforted. It gave him hope. Christmas gave him hope. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Christmas gives us hope. It is hope. I mean, let me ask you something. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? Do you, do you need hope? Yeah, we all need hope. Well, you can have hope because of Christmas. I mean, you may watch, be, be watching this message, uh, and where you are, you may be all by yourself. But you're not really by yourself because with you is God. You may be sick with COVID and you're quarantined in a room all by yourself, but you're not really all by yourself because with you is God. Maybe you're married and all you've been doing during this pandemic is fighting with your spouse and you, and you feel all alone, but you are not really all alone because with you is God. Maybe you're battling depression. Maybe you're battling anxiety. Maybe, maybe you're separated from your friends. All of you young people are separated and isolated from your friends. But you're not really isolated alone because with you is God. Maybe you just collected your final unemployment check. Maybe this is your first Christmas without your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or your son or your daughter. With you is God. I just want you to know that with you is God. And here's how Bonhoeffer closed his letter. He said, on holy evening, that would be Christmas Eve, on holy evening, I will be thinking of all of you very much. And I would very much like for you to believe that I will have a few beautiful hours and my troubles will certainly not overcome me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing he could say that? If one thinks of the terrors that have recently come to so many people, and he was referring to the Allied bombings, uh, heavy Allied bombings in Berlin, then one first becomes conscious of how much we still have for which to be thankful for. Overall, it will surely be a very silent Christmas and the children will still be thinking back on it for a long time to come. And maybe in this way, it becomes clear to many what Christmas really is. And he signed it, your Dietrich. You know, I love this last sentence in his letter. More than anything else, Bonhoeffer hoped that many would come to know what Christmas is all about. Well, that's our hope here at South Bay Community Church as well. Our hope is that many would come to know, that you would come to know what Christmas is all about. You see, Christmas is not about all the things that we think Christmas is all about. And if Christmas is all about those things, then you're going to have a miserable Christmas. Because you can't be with your family, and you can't be with your friends, and you can't do all the things that you like to do on Christmas. But if you come to realize what Christmas is all about, well, this Christmas can be a blessed one for you. We want you to know what Christmas is all about because when you understand that, 
it will change everything for you. It will change everything. Let me close with this. About a month and a half ago, I told you about a young man named Nick Challies who collapsed and died as he was playing with his, uh, with his sister and his girlfriend outside uh, of, of the, you know, out in the college where he was at. Nick was only 20 years old, just collapsed and died. His father, Tim Challies, is a pastor and one of my favorite bloggers. And that's how I heard about this. Well, the other day, Tim wrote about how a lot of people have been warning him about how difficult it will be when March 5th comes, that's Nick's birthday, and when May 8th comes, and that was the day that Nick was supposed to get married to his fiancée, and of course, December 25th, and that's Christmas. And the family's been moaning the fact that Christmas is now upon us. And here's what his dad, Tim, wrote the other day. He said, it will be a day on which I'll be confronted with one very sad and one very happy reality, the death of my son and the birth of my Savior. Christmas is the day Christians remember the birth of Jesus. On this day, we remember that day. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We believe this is no mere myth, no mere mortality tale, but an actual, a morality tale, but an actual historical event in which God was born a man. And this man, God, was born into a broken world, a world of suffering, a world of sorrow, a world in which even our greatest pleasures are marred by the knowledge that, that we are never far from grief, never far from loss. As we ponder the birth of Jesus, we cannot help but consider the many references to both darkness and light. Many years before Jesus was born, Isaiah had prophesied, the people who walked into darkness have seen a great light. And the darkness of night represents the brokenness of this world, a world of pain, of suffering, of death. But the light that breaks into that darkness symbolizes the coming of the Savior who will deliver this world from its pain, its suffering, its death. For by entering this world, he could live in this world and die for this world. He could live a perfect life and die in, die in atoning death. He could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He could deliver us from death. He could deliver us to eternal life. And finally, Tim closed with this. The birth of my Savior has everything to do with the death of my Son. For it is only because of Christ's birth that I have hope in Nick's death. Because Jesus lived and lives, I can have confidence that Nick lives and will live. Christmas does not take away all my pain, but it does give me hope. It does give me confident assurance that there is a joy beyond the sorrow, gain beyond the loss, light beyond the darkness. The light that cut through the darkness on that Christmas night is the light that cuts through my darkness on this Christmas night. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It has not overcome it. It will not overcome it. It cannot overcome it, for this light is the light of life. And this light is Christ himself. What would we do without Christmas? He was right. What would we do without Christmas? 
I mean, if there was no Christmas, we wouldn't have Christ. And if Christ wasn't born, he wouldn't have been crucified on a cross. And if he didn't die on a cross, we couldn't be saved from our sins. And without Christ, we would continue to live in darkness and there would be no hope. There would be no light. Thank God for Christmas. You know, I don't know what Christmas is like for you this year. From an objective, objective point of view, this might be the worst Christmas you've ever had. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be. Because Christmas isn't about your circumstances. It's about what God did for you. He gave you his one and only son. And if you believe in him, if you will believe in him, Jesus will do for you what you can't do for yourself. And regardless, and he will pull you out of the darkness of despair and of sin and save you from your sins. And regardless of how, regardless how bad things get for you, regardless of how bad things are for you, he will turn toward you and he will always be with you. And one day, when your life comes to an end, you will live with him forever and ever in a place called heaven. All that, all that because of Christmas. I don't know about you, but I think that's worthy of a smiley face. This Christmas, I hope you'll take time to think about Jesus. No matter what you've been through, no matter how hard things are for you, no matter how alone you may feel, no matter how sick you may be, think about Jesus. And in your brokenness, in your sorrow, in your loneliness, in your discouragement, in your sadness, draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. And you will sense him turn to you. And you will have a Christmas like no other. Well, let's close our time in prayer. You know, as you have your heads bowed, your eyes closed, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from. How's your Christmas been? Your Christmas can be blessed. In fact, this can be the best Christmas you've ever had if you have Jesus. And if you're here today and you're watching and you don't have Jesus, why don't you reach out to him right now? He is as close as you reaching out to him and you talking to him. Right now, why don't you talk to Jesus and just say this to him, Dear God, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that on Christmas, you gave us your son, your one and only son, to save us from our sins. And Lord God, I confess that I am a sinner and I need you. I am lost without you. And I am desperate without you. Right now, I ask you, Jesus, to come and rescue me and save me from my sins. I surrender my life to you, Lord. Forgive me. Give me the gift of eternal life. Be with me now and forevermore until, until you take me to be with you one day. I give you my life. I hope you prayed that prayer. And if you did at this very moment, the God of the universe 
invaded your heart with the Holy Spirit and you are his and he will be with you forever. You know, for all the rest of you and you, you're ready, Christ follower and this has been a tough Christmas, I want to pray for you now and I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord and ask him to be with you. Father, I know that there are just hundreds of people out there and maybe everyone who is listening right now or watching right now this has just been the toughest Christmas they have ever had. But Lord God, you know, this is, Christmas is not about our circumstances. It's not about what we have or what we don't have. Christmas is about you and what you gave to us. And so God, even in spite of what we are going through right now, in spite of how bad things are, in spite of how sick we may feel, in spite of the fact that we lost a loved one even, perhaps even today, Father, Help us to focus our eyes and our hearts on you. Help us to be grateful and thankful for what you did for us. That 2,000 years ago, you gave us a Christmas. And that's worthy of a smiley face. Because he came to die on a cross for our sins. He was born to die. And because of you, we have hope. And we can get through this. And we will get through this. And you will be with us. And you will turn to us. And you will help us. Thank you for being our Savior, Lord. Thank you for Christmas. We love you so much. God, bless your people. Bless your children. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.